0: turn then for our sermon text to Genesis chapter 13, verses 2 through 18. It's also on the sermon insert. Uh, Genesis 13, 2 through 18. Chapter 13, starting in verse 2. Now, Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. If you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw the Jordan Valley. He saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. Thus they separated from each other, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley, and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward and eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever." I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. Lord God, you have taught us what is good. You have taught us concerning yourself. You have given us your word through the prophets and apostles of old. We pray that you would bless us this day through the reading and preaching of your word, that we might hear and remember and lay it to heart. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before this text, uh, Genesis has described how God called Abram, how he called him from Ur the Chaldeans and from Haran in Syria. It had recounted how God had promised many things to Abram. Uh, He had promised to bless Abram. He had promised to give Abram land. He had promised to give Abram offspring to make him into a great nation. He had promised to through Abram, bless others, to bless those who blessed him, to be a blessing, to uh, in fact uh, bless all the families of the earth uh, through him. And accordingly then uh, Abram followed the direction of the Lord. He went out, he came to the land of Canaan. Last week we saw how uh, these things seemed to be uh, tested, that uh, instead of blessing there was uh, famine, that's he uh, was, was forced by that famine to, uh, to leave the land of uh, promise that the question was, would he return? There was famine and exile and a deadly threat to him and uh, a threat to his marriage, to his wife, but through God's intervention, miraculous intervention, sending plagues upon Pharaoh, this was replaced by abundance and the return to the land and God's protection Abram therefore then led his household back to the promised land and as we saw last week in the first verse of chapter 18, he and his wife and Lot and their households uh, go up to the Negev, to the south of Canaan, uh, where they had uh, begun that chapter. But in this chapter we find that prosperity brings its own challenges. Uh, there had been famine last time and danger, but now there was prosperity. It begins by saying how rich Abram is, but that sets up uh, another uh, problem that of strife and contention, whether in famine or prosperity, you and I must trust the Lord. Uh, both of these can be a uh, a, a test both of these are, can be used to uh, for our good uh, but also provide their own challenges. This passage begins and ends with the favor of God. And in the middle, Abram sets an example of faith in action as he resists the temptations of wealth and as he resolves conflict. So even as in Christ you are heirs of Abraham and God's promises to him, so also be imitators of Abraham and his ways of generosity and gentleness. And peace that we find demonstrated in this passage. First, let's look at verses 2 through 5. <clears throat> Abram was very rich. And Lot also had flocks and herds and tents. Abram was very rich in livestock and in silver and gold. He came out of Egypt better than he went in. Uh, he was very rich. Now, this demonstrates, uh, first of all, God's promise, sorry, God's faithfulness to his promise. God had promised to bless Abram uh, and also to bless those who bless him, such as Lot, for example, who uh, had been with Abram and was also blessed along with him. Abram's foe, Pharaoh, had been cursed, but Lot, Abram's friend and nephew, had been blessed, and Abram himself uh, had been blessed these riches were a manifestation of God's promised blessing upon Abram. Now, riches are not the only way God's blessing is manifested. Not everyone who has riches is necessarily in his favor, and even for Abram, it was not the most important blessing, for riches are temporary. Uh, But they, and not all of Abram's believing children become very rich, uh, even though all of them receive God's blessing and favor. Don't all receive this form of blessing. But for Abram, these abundant riches were a token of God's kindness and mercy, uh, the beginning of the promised blessing that God had promised him. This episode also demonstrates how kindly God treats those who leave something for his sake. Abram had left the land of his kindred, had left his father's house. He had gone out without any certain, really, explanation for how God would care for him. But God had uh, provided for him. The Lord had provided. Abram and Lot had made sacrifices and placed themselves in God's care, and God took care of them. It was good that they had followed the Lord. Jesus himself encouraged his disciples knowing that they would experience uh, suffering, that they would have to deny themselves, that they would receive persecution and receive hatred. But he told his disciples, "'Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house "'or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children "'or lands for my sake and for the gospel "'who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, "'houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children "'and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come.'" eternal life. The Lord will provide for his covenant people. And of course, the best is yet to come. But even in this life, the Lord will watch over us. Abram and Lot had sought first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, had put that above uh, other considerations, leaving their lands to seek the kingdom of God. And these things that the Gentiles worry about had been added unto them, as Jesus also says in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things, like food and clothing, will be added unto you. And in their case, they were added in great abundance. Now, how does Abram respond to this? He has been blessed, he has been delivered. Well, he goes to worship the Lord. He goes back to where he had built an altar between Bethel and Ai, and he calls upon the name of the Lord. Uh, He worships him. He responds with gratitude. He was grateful. He was reverent. He was humble before God, recognizing that it was the hand of the Lord who had blessed him and who had delivered him. And so, he expresses that, and he gives thanks. So, first learn uh, from this first part of the passage to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Do not be afraid. To do so, even if it means making sacrifices. Following, follow the Lord Jesus Christ and trust Him for your future. Now certainly you should work according to your calling, diligently, but as Jesus says, do not be anxious about food or clothing or other earthly things. Your Father in heaven knows that you have need of them. He will care for you and provide according to His wisdom, knowing what is best. But look even further, of course, beyond these things, to God's provision after death, a lasting inheritance. He has laid up glory for his children, an everlasting home. So do not fear to follow the Lord, even if it means that sacrifices will be made, even if it's the sacrifice of your very life. His favor is greater wealth, and he who loses his life for Christ's sake will find it. Learn secondly, that possessions and money and wealth are themselves not evil. The love of money, though, is sinful and a deadly snare and a rival master and the root of all kinds of evils. Certainly, the love of money, you pile on the ways that it's described as a horrible thing, but the fault is with man. The wealth is not in itself evil. It's a test. Some people and it's not just a modern thing. For many ages, some people condemn all rich people as if it's wrong to be rich. Impossible to be both wealthy and godly. Now, some, peop- some wealthy people might even excuse their behavior in the same way. Like they have to get their hands dirty. It just comes with the fact of having uh, lots of resources. It's in- inevitable. They can't afford to live a pure lifestyle. But both of these who would say that, are refuted by the example of Abram. Abram shows that wealth and godliness can combine. The temptations of wealth can be resisted by God's grace. The father of the faithful was a rich man. It is the love of money, the cares of this world, the misuse of God's gifts, that are thorns that seek to choke out the word of God. And so, last point of application here, no one has any excuse. It's possible to resist, by God's grace, the temptations of wealth and ease, and so you must resist them. In our day, many of us in America, whether rich or not rich, enjoy a quality of life that would have been the envy of Abram's day. In our material and technological abundance, it's easy to grow soft, To grow proud, to be absorbed in our earthly tools and toys and pleasures as to be deadened to God. There are temptations that present themselves to us. And the love of mammon, of possessions, must be resisted. Like Abram, as we'll see here in a minute, love people, not wealth. Love God. Do not set your hope on riches. Do not fret about food and clothing and money. Do not neglect Uh, do not neglect to use them with gratitude. Uh, Remember that they are a gift. They are to be received happily from God with gratitude, to worship God as Abram did in remembrance of his many favors and blessings. Use them with generosity and with contentment. Otherwise, the soul will be corrupted with greed and lust, and fellowship will be broken by envy and strife. And that's what we find Uh, manifests itself in verses 5 through 7, that there was strife. There was strife. What happened? Well, Abram and Lot were both blessed with many possessions, but they had not inherited the land yet. They were a traveling clan that was using the land that had not been Settled outside of the cities. The Canaanites and Perizzites still lived in the land, and the land was probably still recovering from the famine, and so the land could not support both the possessions, the livestock of Abram, and of Lot. And so there began to be strife between uh, the herdsmen of Lot and the herdsmen of Abram, probably competing for the watering hole, competing for the pasture. We were here first, oh, but we were here yesterday. They begin to quarrel, and strife begins. A wealthy man can be a godly man, but it can be very difficult. This wealth gives rise to temptation. Money is often the occasion for disputes, or financial matters generally, cause of disputes. These conflicts can rip apart families, They can rip apart societies. How many families have experienced conflict over financial matters? Has that ever happened? How often are there conflicts in the workplace? Uh, How often are there conflicts in the business world? Uh, How often do people find themselves like the herdsmen of Lot and Abram? This land seems like it wasn't big enough for the both of them, literally. Men often misuse God's blessings. God gives great gifts, and just like sometimes happens when you give gifts to children, then they start fighting over the gifts. It's not the way it's supposed to work, right? That's not the parent's intention. Uh, It doesn't have to happen, but that's the way we often act. We get the gift, the gift is good, but then we fight over it, or then we misuse it and cause it to our, to, to turn it to our own disadvantage. Often people bring other people then into the conflict. As these herdsmen start disputing, and they bring Lot and Abram potentially into conflict as well, that they could turn them against each other. Uh, You've probably experienced strife where two people start having strife and then they bring other people onto their sides and soon this starts to multiply as passions get inflamed and provoked and it spreads. It is difficult for people to preserve peace and mutual love. So therefore, promoting harmony... It takes work. It is something not to be taken for granted. Seek to prevent strife by building up mutual trust and love by word and deed. You know, don't wait until the conflict happens. Be building one another up, affirming your relationships with others uh, to, to be building that trust and love so that when conflict happens, it can be resolved with uh, greater uh, ease. Be ready for the strife when it comes so that you can keep a cool head. Do not be ensnared by the love of money. One reason to be careful not to be ensnared by the love of money is that it will drive you into a shipwreck when the winds start to blow. When the conflict begins, these things will lead you astray and cause you to respond uh, poorly. Well, how do Abram and Lot respond? That's what we find in verses 8 through 13. Abram replies, let there be no strife. Let there be no strife between me and you, between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. This thing ought not to be. Abram takes the initiative. Now, either one of them could have done so. Lot could have spoken up as well, but to Abram's credit, he acts decisively. He seeks to avoid strife. He speaks plainly. He communicates. He doesn't wait for Lot to read his mind. He, he, he puts it right out there in front of him. Look, there's some conflict. There's some strife here. Uh, let's get rid of it. We, we don't want this. Let's figure a way to, to avoid this strife. He communicates with his nephew, Lot, and Abram appeals to their kinship. We are kinsmen, uh, or literally, in, in Hebrew, it's, we are men, brothers. There ought, to be, there ought to be harmony between uh, fellow man, and there ought to be, how much more, therefore, between brothers. We are both men. We are, in fact, brothers. Uh, not literally brothers, there's a nephew and an uncle, but uh, the word could be used a little more generally. We're brethren. We should not be at odds and at strife. So consider the applications of this to your natural uh, relations, to siblings, to parents, to children, to relatives, as well as to your brothers and sisters in the household of God. Let there be no strife. We are uh, brothers. A brother is born for adversity, not as adversity. Uh, This is supposed to be a help and a support and an ally, not one whom you fight with. Christians are called to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, and to do so, as Paul says, with humility, with patience, with gentleness. Now, Abram perceives the root of the problem. Now, he could have just said, no, that waterhole is mine, and you need to back off that waterhole. But he, he looks at the bigger picture. He goes to the root of the problem. There's not enough land for the herds of both of us. He's perceptive. And then he proposes a solution to that problem, a solution that could satisfy the interests of both parties. This would work out for both of us, a separation. He offers it also in a conciliatory way, in a way that is generous and shows goodwill. He gives Lot the choice, of land. He could have said, we need to separate. I'm going to go over here and you get to stay here. Uh, But no, he gives Lot then the choice in case Lot bears any grudge against Abram at this point. He seeks to get rid of it, to establish and keep the relationship even if they're going to be at a further distance. Abram values the peace and his friendship with Lot and he values it over his financial prospects. He's willing to suffer some loss to gain and to keep his brother as Proverbs says, better is a dinner of herbs where love is than to fatten ox and hatred with it. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. It is better to have uh, a peaceable relations, uh, even if you don't have as much stuff, than to have a great deal of stuff and have broken all your relations with other people. No doubt this priority was encouraged by Abram's faith in God's promise. He believed God would bless him and give him land and make him into a great nation. So what did he have to ultimately uh, fear? Faith in God helps a person to remain cool-headed, patient, and generous. At least it ought to. Logically follows uh, something for us to meditate upon. Abram was a peacemaker. He could have been offended. He could have berated Lot. He could have asserted his superiority, but he preserves the relationship by providing a solution and by giving Lot the choice of land. And so, where does Lot go? Well, Lot looks around and he sees that the Jordan Valley, the valley along the Jordan River, was was rich and fertile land. was going to have great grazing ground for his livestock. It was looked like the Garden of the Lord, looked like Eden. It looked like Egypt. Uh, And so he decides to move there and to take the choice that he was given. The prosperity, as it turns out, would prove to be a mixed blessing. It was fertile land, but the men of Sodom who lived there did not revere God and their prosperity. They gave way to the temptation of wealth and rather than giving thanks, became wicked, great sinners against the Lord. And we'll return to Sodom uh, in several chapters here and even the next one. And so they separate from each other and remain on good terms with one another. Now as children of Abraham, as heirs according to promise, uh, you also ought to imitate Abram, to walk in the ways of faith of your father Abram. Now, this is how we are children of, of Abram, is uh, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, the offspring of Abraham that is the one who fulfills all of those promises. So if we share his faith, we should walk by the same faith in the same way. As Jesus said, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers. Abram was meek, Abram was a peacemaker. So imitate his meekness. The same word can be translated gentleness. Um, This is kind of a humility that uh, leads to dealing gently with others. Uh, Jesus is described as uh, one who is gentle and lowly. Uh, who is a kind lord, uh, who is good to his people, Uh, imitate his peacemaking, uh, his generosity with Lot. Abram ruled his household well. He maintained peace and harmony by proactively and decisively taking action. He did not do so by acting in a, a harsh manner, but in a wise and gentle manner, perceptively. He looked not only to his interests, but also to the interests of others. He was not driven to strife by love of money or anxiety about money, but by faith he kept a cool head and put an end to the strife. So brothers and sisters, as the Apostle Paul urged, so I urge you, live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all prize love and peace and relationships over wealth and possessions being willing to give up things in order to remove causes of strife be moderate with others moderation is a good thing being ready to make peace to come to a mutually agreeable solution to make concessions if needed In some contexts, compromise is bad, right? You don't want to compromise your principles. You don't want to compromise doctrine. Uh, But in other situations, compromise can be a good thing, like in a dispute about grazing land, uh, where Abraham is willing to compromise here, not to assert everything that he could have asserted. Um, That kind of compromise can be good. Well, what happens after this separation? Last several verses here in 14 through 18, we find that the Lord speaks to Abram after Lot had separated from him. God promises to give Abram all the land that he could see in every direction. And then he promises also to make his offspring as the dust of the earth, that is, as abundant as the dust of the earth. So it was Abram's turn now to lift up his eyes as Lot had lifted his to now look around the land and because God was giving him the whole land uh, similar to how Abram had given Lot a choice of part of that land. God would care for Abram. He would fulfill his promises and he even expands upon them. Remember how I said blessed are the meek? Blessed are the peacemakers? Well, they're blessed because blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. So the two of the promises are specially mentioned, promise of land, promise of offspring. God promises to give him land, the land of Canaan, all the land of Canaan, every direction. The heirs of Abram would remain while the others would be swept away in time. I don't think I mentioned before, but the promise of land uh, looks back to the original promise of land, or the original gift of land to Adam and Eve, that they were given the Garden of Eden. They were then also told to subdue the earth and to possess the earth. By right, sinners deserve to be swept away as they were in the flood, to lose the land, for it to be taken away, all of God's gifts, although now that sentence is delayed. But by grace, repentant sinners are given a right to the land again. They will not be swept away. And this was realized initially by the possession of Canaan by the Israelites, a land where they would dwell with God. But even in the Old Testament, believers looked to the ends of the earth. They also looked to an inheritance after death, that God was not done with them then. And so the promise also looks forward to Jesus Christ, the offspring of Abraham, who would indeed receive dominion over all the earth, uh, who would Gradually extend his kingdom and then bring it to consummation, to glory, who would bring his people to a reward in heaven, even after death, and glory and greatness at his return, that we have an inheritance. Uh, that there is a promise of land for the people of God. There's also a promise of offspring. Not only an offspring, Jesus Christ, who would bring all these promises to pass, but also a vast company, a vast multitude. Uh, innumerable host of people who would be children of Abraham, who would be heirs of these promises. Can you count the dust of the earth? Can you take each grain of dust and start counting one, two, three, four, five, six, five billion, six billion, seven billion? There's a lot of dust on the earth, right? Uh, and Abraham's children would be as innumerable as the dust of the earth. Of course, Abram's sitting there with him and his wife, and they don't have any offspring yet. But God says, I'll make it happen. By his grace, he would multiply his uh, nation to make it a great uh, people. This also looks back to the original blessing of fruitfulness. Mankind was supposed to fill the earth with God's image, to be fruitful and multiply. But man fell and beget children after his corrupt image, filled the earth with wickedness, But God promises to bless Abram, to make his offspring a vast multitude, first Israel, then of course Jesus Christ, and through whom him, believers and their children today, the church shall be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is God's promise, and he will do so by his might and power in supernatural ways, bringing people to share the faith of our father Abram. Now, Abram responds in accord with God's word. He moves through the land. Uh, He walks throughout it. It's kind of a survey of the land that he and his offspring will inherit. And then he settles by the oaks of Mamre. Mamre was one of the people who lived there. There were some oak trees or terebinth trees. And he settled near there. And he built an altar to the Lord. So, again, responds in worship as he... Uh, as it were, claims the land or receives the promises uh, by faith. Now, Abram's actions here, in conclusion, let me notice how they set a pattern that Israel later followed by God's direction. Even at the beginning of this passage, where it mentions that the, he journeyed, um, they, they journeyed by stages, uh, uses the same w- way to describe his journeyed uh, as Israel journeyed to the promised land. But more than that, when Abram came out of Egypt, uh, when Abram came out of Egypt, he avoided conflict with Lot, right? And he is assured then of the promise of land and offspring. Well, what what did Israel do? Israel also came out of Egypt. They also headed to the promised land and they avoided conflict with the sons of Lot. Lot is later going to become the nations of Moab and Ammon. And God, as Deuteronomy 2 describes, carefully tells them, Don't go into their land without their permission. I've given this land for their inheritance. Don't pick a fight with the sons of Lot and just go around them. There's Lot and Ammon. And so likewise, the Israelites avoid conflict and strife as they come to the promised land uh, with their brother Lot. In both cases, faith in God's provision that God would give them, in fact, an inheritance led them to contentment and peaceableness with others. Now you also are, an heir, an heir of an everlasting kingdom. You are under the care of your loving and heavenly father. So even as in Christ you are heirs of Abram and God's promises to him, so also be imitators of Abram and his ways of generosity and gentleness and peace. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your love and Care that you uh, express in your word for us, as undeserving as we may be, that you uh, have good in store for us, that even if we suffer trials and persecution, that our reward is great in heaven. We pray that you would strengthen our faith, that we might walk in ways of peace and love and generosity and gentleness, that we might not be fierce wolves devouring one another and our neighbor, but rather would uh, manifest your peace and do what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. That the kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy would be made visible upon this earth uh, through your people. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.